Well, good morning and welcome, Calvary Quakertown. It's uh, good to have you join us this morning. We're in a series that we're calling Fruitology, and we're adding words and thought to fruit, but not apples and bananas and melons. We're talking about the spiritual fruit that the Holy Spirit generates in us, but they're not apples and oranges or disconnected things, just like the periodic table of elements. Those elements are joined together to make certain compounds. These nine things come together in a package of Christ-likeness, his character, that then we need to display and live out in our world. Now, those spiritual fruit are mentioned in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. And you all had a homework assignment. Some of you did it. Most of you probably didn't. But you all had a homework assignment to memorize those two verses. And so to help aid that process, we're going to kind of read through them. And if you weren't here last week, that's okay. You can catch up. You have a better memory than the people that were here anyway. So you won't have any trouble catching up. We're going to read the two verses together. And remember, it would be a great benefit for all of us. Let's memorize the two verses. Therefore, we know the nine elements that have to get linked together into the compound called Christ-like character. So we ready? Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right, we want to do a couple blanks again? All right, let's take some of those words out and see if we can get it, all right? I'm not going to help you. You do it. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy, forbearance, a little weaker, goodness, gentleness. Oh, I messed up. I'm even reading it, I messed up. All right, do we have more blanks or is that it? Oh, we even have more. Uh, Because you remember, pretty soon we're just going to have blanks on the screen about three weeks from now. All right, here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, goodness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Very good. Well, this morning we're going to talk about love. Love is the component, the element that we're going to look at today. And in some ways, it's not accidental or coincidental that love leads the list. Because love is the only characteristic in the list of nine where the Bible says something like this. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples. That's what Jesus said. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's John 13, 35. Notice Jesus does not say, by this all the world will know if you have patience. By this all the world will know that you have self-control. Now those things are really important, but he does say, by this all the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So that's a pretty important characteristic, right? Um, I had a Macintosh apple yesterday. Actually, I had two. The first of those apples I sliced and had chunky peanut butter put on it as we got. That's the only way to eat an apple, by the way. And so let me ask you a really difficult, you're going to have to think about this, so you need to stop writing whatever you're doing, all right? Where does a Macintosh apple come from? Where does it come from? 
An apple tree, right? Actually, a Macintosh apple tree. It wasn't a trick question. A Macintosh apple comes from an apple tree. And that's the point of the spiritual fruit. Jesus is saying, if you bear these characteristics, it proves that you're planted in me. If you're a follower of Jesus, as we continue what he started, we will be putting these fruit into play. Just like apple trees make apples, followers of Jesus produce this fruit. And love leads the list. Now I'm going to read to you um, the context of the verses, uh, those two verses that we already read from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And I'm going to read the context because it's rather interesting. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you're using your phone or your tablet or something, find Galatians 5. And I'm going to begin reading in 16. And if you're not familiar with this section, you're going to see that Paul does a really interesting thing. Before he gets to the fruit that we should be producing... He talks about something else. So here we go, beginning in verse 16 of Galatians 5. Paul writes, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now he's going to give us another list, but not the good list. Look at this list. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I didn't ask you to memorize those verses, all right? Uh, notice we have kind of another fruit list, right? Then he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see what Paul's doing? He says, here is the stuff that you will naturally produce. Your flesh, that's kind of who you are in and of yourself, right? So if we do nothing, we will create that list. If you're not working at spiritual fruit, if you're not feeding on spiritual fruit, if you're not focusing on what Jesus has done, that's the stuff we will naturally make. Now, I put them in a few categories for you, right? So here are the categories of those uh, weeds that we often produce. Sexual sin. Did you notice those? All, immorality of all kinds. Um, have you noticed any sexual sin in the news recently? Yeah, that's what our hearts naturally produce, right? Religious sin we produce, right? That's in the list too, right? Where whenever we put something other than Jesus into the center, then Jesus gets demoted and whatever's in the center gets our primary allegiance. So it's not just sexual sin, sexual deviation. There's also religious sin and deviation. Then there's relational sin. Anger, fits of rage. You know, you kind of live out, live out all that stuff. You don't have many people real close to you, right? And so there's relational division. And then substance sin, drunkenness, addictions of all kinds. Um, boy, we don't have to look too far to find any of those things, right? 
Sexual sin, religious sin, relational sin, substance sin, we're surrounded by that. Watch any news program, watch any television show, look at most advertisers, go to any news websites, you will see those four things littered all over our culture. And yet we live in a world that says, oh, just follow your heart. That's what all those people are doing. They're following their heart. Every mass murderer that ever lived was just following his heart. Everyone that lives with fits of rage and anger, living out sexual sin, they're just following their hearts. Isn't it weird that we live in a culture that says, oh, just follow your heart. That's where joy is. That's where, that's where this mess is. We produce this stuff naturally. Ever since our first ancestors rebelled against God and lived as if they had a better plan. Rather than trusting what God wanted for them, rather than living in relationship with him, they turned their backs on him, ran from him, and ever since then, these are the things that we naturally produce. And every one of those seeds resides in every one of our hearts. You know, sometimes it's easy to look down on people who are exhibiting a full harvest in any of these areas. But make no mistake, it's only God's grace that has kept us from that full harvest of this mess. Isn't that right? The seeds for all this junk are in every one of our hearts. I like to refer to this list as a, kind of the default mode of our hearts. The default mode of our hearts. Now sometimes default mode is good, right? So for example, I had Carol Boyd, and one of the IT folks here at Calvary. Um, I had Carol Boyd made the, make the default mode for my Word program, Times Roman 12, as my type. So if anything ever goes awry, it, comes, it automatically defaults to time, Times Roman 12. Because I like little serifs, right? I know I'm old, I don't know, I like serifs. And so time, New Times Roman 12, that, that's me. That's default mode now. But default mode's also bad. There's also bad default mode. Um, the office phones here at Calvary Church must have the default mode that whenever you don't use the phone for a while, when you use it then, volume is at maximum volume. You ever have that? I mean, it'll blow your ear out. Everybody tells me I'm too loud anyway. Yo, you should hear me on maximum volume. Um, so you pick up the phone every morning. Everybody's so loud. The ringer's so loud. You have to hit the you know, down button 45 times just to get it back to a normal sound. That's default mode. Super volume. Maybe Bob Pringle will hear this and he'll change the default mode. Have you ever stayed at a hotel? Um, often the hotels have default mode on the TV stations. You ever notice that? And the default mode is kind of like the advertisement. So if you're at a Marriott, the default mode is for Marriott's. The default mode is for wherever you stay. And so you're catching the scores before you go to bed. You're watching ESPN. You turn the TV off after you get the scores, and it was a big Penn State win last night. It was a great evening. Anyway, you're watching the score. You go to bed rejoicing. You wake up in the morning. You forget what the channel for ESPN was, and you get the Marriott commercial. And you can't remember the ESPN station. Well, you go out for breakfast. You turn the TV off, come back in, turn it on, and you're back to the Marriott station again. That's default mode. And you know what Paul says? This, that list of junk is the default mode of our heart. So if we're not working against that, sexual sin, religious sin, relational sin, substance sin, they will automatically kick into gear. They are, those elements make up the default mode of our hearts. I can't think of another place where Christianity is more different than our surrounding culture. 
You've heard me say this before, but it's worth saying again. Our culture, it doesn't matter who you, who you, what television show you watch, what help you go to get, our culture says this. The real problems are out there, and the solution is in here, right? You need to look inside, follow your heart, be guided by your intuition. Yeah, is that what Paul says? No, no, no. There isn't a more radical difference between our culture and Christianity than right there. Our culture says the problems are out here. The solution is in here. The Bible says, no, 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 you got it backwards. The real problem is in here. The problem is our hearts have been messed up by this virus called sin. And if we do nothing, that virus just grows and grows and the seeds that were planted take root and we produce a harvest of this mess. The solution is out there. The solution is Jesus who comes to bring forgiveness, to give us his spirit that then works against the virus so that we can produce the good fruit that God wanted us to produce from the beginning. See how that works? The default mode of our hearts. The seeds are all there, but the harvest is going to be nasty. Dishonoring to God, brutal to relationships, destructive, dangerous. That's the default mode. We all fight against it. But then there's the fruit mode of the spirit. The fruit mode of the spirit. And uh, a couple people uh, probably were thinking, and I want to take a couple minutes to show you how this works. How does the Holy Spirit work with the scripture? How, how do the Bible and spirit work together? Well, uh, if you just kind of keep going in the Bible, you're at Galatians, right? Then next book is Ephesians and Colossians. So let me share with you a couple of verses from Ephesians and a couple of verses from Colossians to make my point about how this fruit mode of the Spirit works against those seeds of default mode. So hopefully you're sitting there thinking, boy, if I do nothing, all those seeds are going to germinate, they're going to produce harvest, and we've all produced some little harvest in our lives, right? So I don't want to do that. How, how can I work against it? How can I get in step with the fruit mode of the Spirit rather than that default mode of my heart? Okay, well, here are a couple of verses from Ephesians 5. Now, check it out. Do not get drunk on wine, Paul writes, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And if you're filled with the Spirit, here's what happens. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and making music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So let me uh, categorize those for you. Here's what, uh, here's what Paul says. If we're, our, if we're filled with the Spirit, not filled with the fault mode. If we're filled with the Spirit... We will produce these things. And let me categorize them for you again. We will produce worship, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, right, to God, worship. We will produce service, a lot of things, serving, loving, caring for other people. We will produce thanksgiving. We'll be living thankful lives, right? It's all right in the list. Uh, worship, service. What's the other thing? <laughs> service. And we're living those things out in the spirit as we're going worship and service. And the last of them, uh, it's not up here. The last of them is submission. You know, some of you kind of freak out over those submission passages, right? You know, 
Don't exasperate your children, parents, wives, submit to your husbands. But you notice those submission passages, they come in Ephesians and Colossians. They always come after being filled with the Spirit, and they come after being filled with the Spirit, and we're all supposed to be submitting to one another. So we have worship, ministry, thankfulness, and a you-first kind of life. They're the results. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, worship, service, thankfulness, submission. There they are. Um, how do you get them all? Well, you're filled with the Spirit. All right, next slide from Colossians. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, all the results kind of sound exactly the same, don't they? Worship, service, thankfulness, and then submission follows. Worship, service, thankfulness, submission. They follow. But what's the cause in Colossians? The cause in Ephesians was, be filled with the Spirit. The cause here is, let the words of Christ, the message of Jesus, rule in your hearts. You know what the word rule there is? The word for umpire, right? They had games back then. Let the word of Jesus, the word about Jesus and the words of Jesus, let them umpire in our hearts and will produce those same results. You know what that means? That means the Bible and the Spirit always work together. They never work independently. Think of it this way. The Bible tells us what. The Spirit shows us how. The Bible tells us what we should be doing and feeling and thinking. The Spirit gives us the energy to live out the what with the how. They always work together. If you have the Bible without the Spirit, you'll be crushed because you're not able to do what the Bible says. If you have the Spirit without the Bible, that energy will be misdirected and the seeds will still be producing the harvest. The Scripture and the Spirit always work together. So a little word of application uh, before I move on. So if you really don't want that default mode stuff to reap a harvest in your life, and you really want that fruit mode of the Spirit to produce, that means we really do have to spend time in the Bible. And let me say it like this. Um, I don't know too much Korean language. I know a bunch of Korean food words. I know brogogi, kalbi, chapje, kimbap, kimchi. I, I like Korean. I know lots of Korean food words. I love to hear people talk Korean. And if you've ever been to a large Korean worship gathering, it's kind of amazing at the end. You gather, and sometimes there are like a thousand people. And usually to end, everybody prays out loud together. But they don't say the same thing. They're all kind of praying their own little prayers. And it's, you, you look and say, what? This is like chaotic. And I'm always kind of amazed at that. It sounds really cool. And I think, you know, God has no trouble understanding every single one of those prayers, and he can do it all at the same time. So I don't know too much Korean. I know some Korean words. But suppose I say, you know what? I really want to learn Korean. I want to figure out how to not just understand, you know, Korean words so I can order at a restaurant. I want to be able to converse in Korean, pray in Korean so I can join that big group of people when they pray at the end. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy a Korean-English dictionary, and I'm going to spend three minutes every day looking up a couple words in a dictionary and put it down. How long will it take me to learn Korean? 
Yeah, like forever. <laughs> Does that at all resemble how you treat the Bible? At all? You know, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, get together and hear somebody talk about the Bible? Two or three minutes a day reading a verse here, a verse there. You know, you're kind of in the, in the God, people, dictionary, trying to figure out a couple words here and there. You're never going to learn Korean that way. And I have this sneaking suspicion we're never really going to understand how the Bible fits together and how the Spirit can speak if that's all that we do. Now, look, I'm not saying I'd have to put any of you on a guilt trip. I'm just saying if the Spirit and the Scripture are always working together, then we need to be kind of regularly reading the Bible. Take a few minutes every day, put your butt in a chair, read what it says. Make sure you're here when we're talking about the Bible. If you want, join a small group, a home group, go to an ABI, go somewhere to hear more about the Bible, interact with people thinking about the Bible. The Bible tells you what, the Spirit tells you how. They have to go together. Don't trust your own ability and self-discipline to be able to produce that stuff. Trust Jesus and his spirit to energize you to do it, but you have to have the railroad tracks to run on, and that's what the Bible does. Spirit and scripture together, working in fruit mode to produce the good list. See how that works? All right, well, our topic this morning is love. So we're going to talk a little bit about love. Love mode of the gospel. By this, all the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. You know, our world is uh, enamored with love. Uh, you know the songs as well as I do. In fact, uh, I brought some lyrics this morning from love songs. I'm not going to sing them to you. You can thank me later. Um, but I'm going to read you some of the lyrics. And here's the point I want to make with the love song lyrics. The authors of the love songs know something about love. When you resonate with the lyrics, that's because something inside of you knows something about love. We're created by God, and that somewhat trace understanding of love can't be erased from our hearts and our minds, but we can't live it out, but we really want it. We've never really seen it, but we kind of create it. So let me uh, give you a few examples. Brian Adams. Everything I do, I do for you. Yeah, what a lie that is. Well, anyway. Um, take my life. I would give it all. I would sacrifice it all for you. Everything I do. Oh, everything I do for you. Everything I do, darling. You will see it's true. You will see it's true. Yeah, yeah. You'll see it's true. Everything I do, I do for you. Wouldn't you love to be in love with somebody who does that? Everything I do, I do for you. Now, you're not married to somebody like that. And you're certainly not somebody like that. But notice... The lyrics are, that strikes us, right? Yeah, that's right. I want to be in love with somebody like that. All right, here's another one for all you country fans. George Strait. I cross my heart and promise to give you all I've got to make all your dreams come true. In all the world, you'll never find a love as true as mine. What a crock. <laughs> I mean... I mean, can you make all anybody else's dreams come true? But you know that that's true, right? When, when he sings that, you say, yeah, I need somebody to love me to make all my dreams come true. And then we, rather than look at ourselves and we're not doing that for someone else, we take the lyrics and say, that's what I need. I need somebody to make all my dreams come true. I need, I've never seen it before, but I need a love as true as mine. Let me ask you. If, if we're just accidents, right, 
We just kind of came out of the primordial ooze here somewhere. Lots of time and a cosmic accident. Why is there this trace in every one of our hearts and minds about what true love is? Where'd that come from? You can't explain it if you believe that we're just accidents. But George Strait sings, Brian Adams sings, and we say, that's right. That's what I want. That's what I need. Oh, I'm not done. Here's another one. Bon Jovi. I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you. I'd live and I'd die for you. Oh, it gets better. I'd steal the sun from the sky for you. He's going to suspend the laws of physics. Words cannot say what love can do. I'll be there. I'll be there for you. I mean, don't you want somebody to steal the sun for you? Uh, rather than steal it, I want somebody to keep it out all year round. Like in the winter, that's what, like if Bon Jovi could do that, I'm signing up for more of that. Uh, here's one of my favorites, uh, Sarah Evans. If I had to run, if I had to crawl, if I had to swim a hundred rivers just to climb a thousand walls, always know that I will find a way to get to where you are there's no place that far. I mean, that's good, right? But if you put that around and put yourself into the shoes, how many rivers can you swim to get to somebody, right? I mean, the Delaware's probably really cold now. I would never make it. Um, and then climb a thousand walls? I mean, look, I do Stairmaster a couple of days. I don't do a thousand walls. Um, always know, you know what? People can get so far away from me, I can't get there. And I don't want to get there, right? I mean, if it's going to be too painful for me, I'm not going. I'm going to drown. I'm going to die on the wall. But, you know, something inside of us is kind of triggered by that, right? Say, oh, that's right. I want to be loved like that. I want to be loved by someone who will swim a thousand rivers to get to me. I want to be in love. I want somebody to love me. They'll climb a thousand walls. Nothing is going to keep that person. That's why I need. Now, we can't love like that, but we want to be loved like that, right? Where's that come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. All those love songs come from that little trace of God's love in our hearts because we were built to be loved like that. But there's no human being that can love you like that. And so we go through life trying and trying to find somebody to love us like that. And when they fail, we cast blame and accuse them. And when we fail, we say it's their fault. We're just looking in the wrong place. That's the problem. So let's talk about what God's love's like, and then you'll know where those love songs come from. Love mode of the heart. I read an article a few weeks ago that listed some continuums. So I'm going to share with you the continuums of the author. Here's the first continuum. God's love is unconditional, not conditional. Unconditional, not conditional. But apart from God... You don't know unconditional love. Here are a couple of verses that remind us of that. Just, just wrap, wrap your head around this for a minute. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions and sin. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him 
in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that that the coming ages may show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. You see what Paul's saying? Before you did anything, God loved you. We, We were stuck in default mode. We're producing nothing but sexual sin and substance sin and religious sin and relational sin. That's the only fruit we've got. And that's exactly when God loved you. That's unconditional. Maybe the closest thing we have to unconditional love is parent love. That's how parents love, right? I mean, a a little one kind of pops out and you love him and he's never done anything for you. You keep loving him and it's going to be a long, long, long time before he ever does anything for you. Except keep you up at night and cost you lots of money. right? But your love just grows. And here's the amazing thing with parent love. The more needy the child, the greater the parent love. Where'd that come from? That's unconditional love, right? Parent love is the closest we get. But even that's a little conditional. But all the other love we know in this world is very seriously conditioned, isn't it? You do this and I'll do that. We live in a performance-oriented world where everything is based on deserving. Everything's based on getting good grades by doing this and having a good performance evaluation and getting a raise and keeping the job by doing that and paying the rent and having a good relationship with the landlord. Everything in life is conditional, but we long for unconditional love. Didn't you hear it in the songs? But you only find it in Jesus. God's love is unconditional. Here's the next of the continuums. God's love is continual, not circumstantial. Every other love we know is kind of circumstantial. And I don't mean this to be kind of a, you know, a guy thing. But most of the guys I know, and certainly me, maybe, maybe this is more true of me than any guy, I don't know. My, I kind of love, care, am nice to people by convenience. I, I mean, I tend to think I'm a pretty nice guy. Yeah, but I'm not going to go out of my way to show you how nice I am. But if I happen to cross your paths, I'll say hi to you. I'll help you if I can. But I'm not going to make too big of a, too big of a leap to go find you. It's going to be circumstantial. So I'll love you and care for you and say nice things uh, if it fits my schedule, if you happen to be in my proximity, if, if you're kind of in the area and you come out of your way and say, Charles, could you do this? Yeah, if it doesn't take me too long, maybe I'll be able to do it. Can I mean this? Yeah, if I have more money in my pocket, maybe I'll give you a little bit of money in my pocket. You see, it's all circumstantial love that's not circumstantial don't you well check this out for I am convinced Paul writes tell me you don't need this love I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present or the future nor any powers neither height or depth nor anything else in all creation We'll be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sarah Evans can sing it, but only Jesus can live it. He didn't swim a thousand rivers or a hundred rivers and climb a thousand walls. He became a human being and lived the life you should have lived, and he went to a cross and died the death you should have died. And that's a whole lot more than swimming rivers and climbing hills, and he did it for us. Now he says, nothing ever will be able to separate my love from you ever. That's continual, not circumstantial. One more. 
God's love is sacrificial, not beneficial. You know, if you're like me, you've become pretty adept at cost-benefit analysis. I'm pretty good at that. I, I can do that in my head very quickly and very well. Over here, I list all the costs, things it's going to cost me, time, energy, money, right? All this kind of stuff, things I want to do. Over here, I list the benefits of what I'm going to get out of this deal, right? So and what, what do you do? Here's, you do the same thing I do. If the benefits outweigh the cost, you're in. If the costs outweigh the benefits, you'll volunteer somebody else. Isn't that right? You do a cost-benefit analysis. Here's the question. What if Jesus did that with us? Look around the room. This is what he gets for his sacrifice. This is it. Yeah, thank God his love is sacrificial, not beneficial. It can't be said better than this. Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid on his life for his friends. And that's what he did. I mean, that verse is all about the cross, right? Jesus goes to the cross and pays a debt he doesn't owe so that you and me who owe the debt don't have to pay it. And we can be forgiven and we can be accepted and we can now become part of his plan and purpose and we can put into play what resources he gives to us as gifts to further what he's doing so we've got an eternal purpose in the world. All that comes at his sacrifice. So let's put them up there, all three together. Let me ask you kind of a convicting question. I had to do it this week, so I'm going to ask you to do it. In your head or on your paper, whatever you're up for, you put an X on each of those lines where your love would most likely fall. Is your love more unconditional or conditional? Is your love more continual or is your love more circumstantial? Is your love more sacrificial or is your love more beneficial? Where do the X's go for you? So what do we have to do? Remove the conditions, resist cost-benefit analysis, and remember that the love you were built for and the crazy artists sing about can only be found in Jesus Christ. They feel the traces of it. We can experience the realities of it. That's the gospel, friends. And Jesus said, now, you go do likewise. As I have loved you, you go love the people around you. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this love that we experience the traces in our heads and our hearts, but we can't find anywhere other than Jesus. Lord, thanks for pointing us to him. And thanks for showing us and helping us live out the reality of that love in our lives as we share it with other people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.